different wardrobe for this one. Yeah. It's almost like you're two different personas. I know, right? It's right? front cap Gabe. And backward hat Gabe. Beard Gabe and shaven Gabe. What do you think, Ali? Should I shave? Be, be honest. Like clean shave? No. We're talking he, down to the he, stud. He's asking if he should shave and keep his mustache or if he should shape the beard that he has currently. And I'm saying if you shaped your beard, it could look good, but it's just not well, as shaped as it could. I could trim the beard, so it would be less hideous, but it would still be That's a beard. That's shaping. Yeah, maybe you just shape. Yeah, you can do that. I just wouldn't do a clean. You look a beard, don't you? Don't go clean, Gabe. Don't go clean? Go clean or go home. Stay off I the I feel wagon. like there's very few people I'm like, oh, clean shave, you know? <laughs> who, who, who do you say that about? Like, I'm trying to think. I'm trying is to there think any? Like, Daniel Craig. Is there any actor? actor? But I'm like, any handsome actor I like usually has something on their face. Like Tom Hardy? Like yeah, he's a very attractive man, yeah. Is he the most attractive man? No, You're he's bad. a very attractive actor. I want to see you as Bane. But in like the body you are now. <laughs> Nobody knew who I was until I put on you're the already, like You have the height, so you could just like throw some Batman impersonator around. I would love to throw Christian Bale around. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. In the sheets? You're the worst Batman. No, I just don't like it, Batman. <laughs> um, so we're in this insanely... What is the word? I want to call it the diamond age of television. Yeah, we're it's, it's content excess right now. <laughs> We're in this like content storm of just just content. It's just so much content. I'm calling it the overflow from people who were locked up for the last two years during COVID. I'm calling it the coverflow. Well, Co- yeah. I coined it here first, everyone. The coverflow. We're in the coverflow. Is that like Coverfield? Coverfield? Sure. <laughs> I think like the way the streaming wars have happened and then the bottleneck that is COVID. Even though the the quantity of, like we we've had some of the worst trash we've ever gotten brought to brought to the silver screen, or to the to the small screen, whatever we call it. <laughs> but we've also had some of the silver screens. The theater, by the way. Yeah. Well, what are you just the small screen? Then? The pla- the tube. The bronze screen. The tube. Whatever. I like that. Well, it used to be called the tube. It's but, no longer a tube. What is it then? It's a flat screen. They're flat screens. The inf the info. We keep going. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is because of that raw amount of quantity, we've also had a lot of quality sure. programs, particularly in the last, I mean, maybe because it's in my my recent short-term memory, but the last few months have been phenomenal. There's <laughs> a lot of bad that's coming out with the good. I should say we're in we're in the coverflow. It's, it's happening all at once. There's a lot of streaming crap. I mean... Simultaneously, you can have a show like the one we're discussing today, Severance, with a show like Halo. Bridgerton or Halo. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so so there's just a lot of stuff. And that's what the Cold Podcast is for. We're here to sort through all of it. I hope we don't review the bad stuff. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. We're, we're trying to review the good stuff. And we're, we are watching a lot of things, probably some things that we won't be discussing. But I have a list of stuff, just like a constant list of things that are coming out. And I'm watching a lot and checking out a lot and trying to stay on top of it. It's it's a lot. And today today we're going to talk about this amazing show that Gabe and I saw the trailer for and we're like, wow, that looks really cool, cool, cool concept. We should check it out. It's on Apple TV. It's called Severance. Uh, but uh, before that, I thought it'd be uh, fun to mention that all of us here, well, I should say, Gabe. <laughs> Who can you can Let's you try for a complete sentence? Can Steve. you describe to me? 
what severance is who is with us in the room right oh, now oh god yeah um back on the show series regular or, or semi-regular <laughs> it's Allie Burnett hi good to be with you thank you for being here I always love having your voice and your beautiful visage to stare across the table as we record. I should write that down. I'm glad to be a distraction. (laughs) Um, No, I thought it'd be fun to mention that we all saw, all of us here, we all saw a movie called After Yang that came out on HBO Max. And we decided, I think, that we're like, it's not really worth doing a podcast about having its own episode. But we did like it, and so we thought we'd mention it. So there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely thematically connects with the show we'll be talking it about. It kind of does. That's what I immediately yeah. thought of. Um, it's with Colin Farrell and a couple other people. <laughs> Great job. Colin Farrell. I can't even remember. <laughs> Jody Turner-Smith. I can't remember the director's name either. It was Kogonata, or at least that's... Co- what's his name? It's like his, his Zendaya. It's Kogonata. Co- Kogonata. Kogonata. Yeah, Co- his name is Kogonata. It was fantastically directed. I would actually recommend checking it out if you have time and you want to see something that's like kind of in the future and deals with robots and existentialism. It's well done. It's well executed. The thing that excites me the most is about Kogonata's body of work. He currently has co-directed a show with Justin Chan called Pachinko. That's next on my list to check out on Apple TV. Pachinko looks great. Look it up. But yeah, so let's jump back into Severance. Here we are talking about Severance, the new Lost, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Well, I should... a legacy to live up to. I should say, I don't know how else to talk about about it. About the fan base. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how else to talk about it than to compare it to a show like lost and i'll explain why later but gabe you'll explain why later huh can you talk about a little bit who wrote this show and came up with it and the idea of this show yeah this show comes straight from the brain the whole brain of dan erickson who is not got a lot of credits to his name but it is a partnership between many parties, but Dan Erickson seems to be the main creative force behind the idea. And I, I read somewhere, I don't even know if this is true, but it came from a... His own experience. Well, of course that. But I was going to say, I think this project originated as a stage play that he had put on with, oh, right. with a different story, but it evolved into this project that he pitched to Ben, ben Stiller's production studio. Yeah. I think it's called Red Hour, circa 2015 2016 mm-hmm. and that got the talk started to eventually put this series into production and apple tv got involved at some point and here we are here we are it has become apple tv's like yeah surprise smash success it is a surprise and it is a smash everyone i know that has seen it has said this is an a plus show so there it is we're gonna keep going yeah, uh, you know I mentioned Ben Stiller. Ben he, Stiller. Yeah. He directed six of the nine episodes. He also has directed a lot of great films. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was going to say that. The first one, Cable Guy. He directed Reality Bites, which was his first film. He directed Zoolander. He directed um, The Secret Life of uh, what is it, Walter Schmidt or Walter Mitty? Walter Mitty. He directed Zoolander Two. Although that was a terrible film. What is what a success. But every other film he's ever directed, in my opinion, has been great. Reality Bites is an amazing movie. 
Zoolander, I think, is a fantastic comedy. But I've always been a huge fan of his direction, and this is no exception. I love this freaking show, and I love the direction of this show. Um, I think it's I think it's actually brilliant. Like, there's actual genius going on here. Should we talk about the rest of the team? Let's talk about the t- for the team or the cast, whichever. Well, I think it's also important to uh, credit another person with both directorial and producer credits. Sure. I don't know how to pronounce her first name. Let me see. We can each take a stab. You want to go for it? <laughs> it's either it's either it's either Oif, Oif, or or E or Eefy. Or right, something I'm like that. Pass the phone to Allie. Allie, what do you think? Give us your best shot. You could spell it if you want first. And then you have to use it in a that sentence. That is every vowel except you. <laughs> <laughs> and right. the letter F. <laughs> I'm going to start using that one in Wordle. <laughs> I know, right? I, that's really hard. I'm going to say Ophi. Maybe the A is silent. That might be it. Ophi McArdle. We'll run with that. That's smart. Um, that's why I married my wife. Yeah. She's, I think... Just as there, this, like I said, there's a whole team of creative people coming together to make this show happen. Um, and it's interesting the marriage of Dan Erickson's experience as just kind of what seems to be a normal guy with Ben Stiller and these other Hollywood people that can bring in the polish to make his idea really shine. And I, I want to say right off the bat, like Steven did, this show is, in, is insanely good on every level. And it's yes. probably. <laughs> My fit. I have. I have to just start my rewatch now that I'm caught up on the other content we're trying to do. But it's probably my favorite thing that I've seen uh, from television, like since Devs and like season one of Dark in the last five years. I can't think of anything else that's really matched that for me. Of course, now we're in like the new Atlanta and stuff like that. But it's like Better Call Saul's premiering. But Severance has such an incredibly quality aside which is ten, like amazing in every <laughs> on every level like i said but the the insane amount of creativity and the identity of this show is so distinct yeah. that it really stands apart from everything else all the other great television that's happening right now yeah and that that shows itself not just in the writing and the acting and the production design and the uh every department but it shows itself very heavily through the visual style of this show like every shot is you know every frame is a painting as they say and uh cinematographically it has a lot of symmetrical framing it's very very symmetrical but not in an anderson like a wes anderson way. no 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 sometimes a little bit a lot more depth and drama to each frame but yeah and the voice and the tone of the show created with the soundscape and the score is also very unique. And man, I have the names if you want. I think Gabe and I could talk about this for a long. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, like Stephen said, all the different facets of what contribute to the tone and the atmosphere of this show, starting most notably with me, probably is going to be the cinematography, which was by Jessica Lee Gagne or Gagne? Gagne. I think it's French. I couldn't say because the cinematography was amazing. The score was Ted Shapiro, who worked with Ben Stiller before on Walter Mitty and Tropic Thunder. The editing by a team of individuals looks like mostly due to Jeffrey Richman. Uh, production design, Jeremy Hindle. Set decoration, Andrew Baseman. And costume design, Sarah Edwards. Felt like going the extra mile on this one because everything was so standout. And there was a whole team of writers too, but I think Dan Erickson was the main mind in the meld. 
Allie, do you want to talk about the cast? Well, Adam Scott plays the main character, Mark. Zach Cherry plays Dylan, who's a co-worker. Britt Lower plays Helly, which is a co-worker and more of a central character. Tremel Tillman plays Mil- Milchik, who's Milchik. kind of like the security guard type of person. Uh, Jen Tulek plays Devin, who is Mark's sister. Dickon Latchman? Dickon Lachman? Dickon. Dickon Latchman. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Like that, that sounds way. better. Uh, plays Miss Casey, who is... Um, spoiler Yeah, spoiler alert. Mark's wife, who he thinks deceased, but um, we find out she's actually living. Um, Michael Chernis plays Rickon, who is... Uh, his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law. Um, and he's kind of a funny role. <laughs> um, there's this, I mean... And unexpectedly profound. Yeah, Yeah, there's some unexpectedly profound wisdom that he offers. He kind of comes across as kind of a clown, clownish character. Um, But yeah, Mark actually gleans a lot unknowingly through his words. John Turturro plays Irving, another coworker. Christopher Walken makes a few appearances. He plays Bert. and then Patricia Arquette is a central character. She plays Harmony Cobell. They call her Miss Cobell. She is essentially their boss, the person who's overseeing the facility. Mark Geller plays Kier Egan. Oh, Kier, yeah. He's like basically the, yeah. what would you call it, the icon? He's the, like the Elon Musk kind of person. Yeah, they kind of worship him in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and then Michael Krumsky plays Mr. Grainer, mm-hmm. who, spoiler alert, I mean, he's not really like a big character. He ends up dying pretty quickly. Yep. Spoilers. That's what you get on this podcast. I should say then, Petey is also played by Yule Vasquez. They talk about Petey a lot. Petey. He was also in a minor character in War of the Worlds and Severance. He's one of those actors that you've definitely seen before. Succession is what I meant to say. Success. Succession. He was in Severance. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Succession. Severance. <laughs> Center yourself. Okay, so let's talk about Severance. Your innie is very popular amongst those who know him. <laughs> Your Audi. <laughs> Your Audi. <laughs> Are we talking about belly buttons? or? <laughs> That's how they refer to their uh, personalities on the inside or the outside. She remembers. Can you explain Severance, Gabe? Severance? Both the act of the process and the show. Well, in this world, which is it's kind of a sci-fi workplace story that is uh, amongst many things, kind of dissecting corporate work culture and what that does to a person <laughs> in uh, the yes. modern age. Yes. So in our story, we have a host of characters that go to work at this mysterious uh, enterprise, this business called Lumen. And they work in a special department where they have an operation called severance done on them in order to work here, which is where they separate their brain by a surgical procedure to, and here's where the sci-fi comes in, separate their outside, uh, like their home life from their work life. And when they're in one or the other, they cannot remember the other. Mm -hmm. So if they're at their eight hour, nine to five, they cannot remember their home life. They don't remember anything about their personal lives from their family to their hobbies, to their history. They barely remember their names. It's one of the things they have to uh, kind of 
recall when they're first brought into the program. Uh, but they are essentially the same person, which is important for the purposes of the narrative. Mm-hmm. And then on the outside, they remember nothing about what they do. And it's a mystery that they've agreed to. It's all consensual because most of these players are uh, emotionally damaged or doing it for uh, ulterior motives, it seems. Mark, our main character, is doing it for the purposes of forgetting his wife's death. And he is just completely a wreck. And this is one way for him to cope, which is to, for eight hours a day, forget his troubles, or at least attempt to. And so that brings us into this uh, group of individuals who work here at Lumen on the severed floor in macro data refinement, which is their <laughs> sub-department, where we see Mark and we meet our new hire, Heli R, yeah. played, by, played by Britt Lower, who's incredible. I'd never seen her before, but she was amazing. Uh, she's kind of like the heart of the show, even though we follow Mark's story primarily. Mm-hmm. We have... Uh, Irving, as Ali said, John Turturro, and uh, Dylan, Zach Cherry, and those four make up our team of individuals that we follow throughout the show. Yeah, it's literally only four people working in this job. In their orbit is uh, a few other characters in management that sort of have a better idea of what's going on at this company, at this cult-like industry, uh, this business, that no one knows really the nature of what they do. It seems like even the management's a little fuzzy on it. But particularly our MDR guys, uh, Mark, they have no idea what they're doing. They sit all day at a desk sorting numbers into bins. And the only thing they have to go on is that they sort the numbers based on uh, like an emotional response. Like the numbers might seem scary or they might make them feel strange, good or strange or all these different things. And that's basically the hook of the show. And so over the course of our, what is it, nine or ten episode run, the mystery unravels itself in a very, like Stephen said, kind of lost way. The mystery box is uh, opened and closed and opened again. Yep. I think we leave in a place, again, full spoilers, but we don't even really, by the end of the season, know the true nature of the work. Yeah, we still don't know really what's happening. And that's that's why I compare it to Lost, is because... Yeah. <laughs> By the end of the show, you still don't really know what has transpired, but the relationships and the importance of character development is the thing that matters the most, and that's exactly what Lost was. So mm-hmm. the hook of the show, though, is the thing that you know pulls people in, and then you know they stay for the characters, essentially. Yeah. Then there's like the crew that operates outside as the management team, like you said. And that's Patricia Arquette and Tramel Tillman, who seemingly aren't severance, but they're on the severance floor, so they know what's happening. And they answer to the board, which calls in on this kind of speaker that sits on their desk with a camera on it. And they don't say a word <laughs> in their meetings. But this, this woman will show up and say, I represent the board. The board wants to meet with you. And then they deliver some sort of bad news, usually, and... There's this very mysterious, enigmatic element to the whole show, but specifically when it comes to when they're on the severance floor, you don't really know what's happening a lot of the time. That plays out in a lot of different ways, and like Gabe said, like the actual work that they do there, they don't even really know what they do. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. We as the audience doesn't know. We still don't know by the end of season one. Um, Thankfully, season two has been greenlit already. Thank God. Yeah, but... uh, We meet other departments along the way. 
we do meet another department, but they don't really know what they're doing either. And then there's, they can wander down sort of a maze of, of hallways that really represents kind of the bleak, undecorated, dystopic. Yeah. Kind of dystopic feeling like almost like an Apple store, which is kind of funny because it's very, um, it's an an Apple TV show. It's a sterile environment. There's very little decor. Yeah. Um, it, some of it, a lot of the the decor and the tech that is there is very anachronistic, which is one of the first things I noticed about the show that I love uh, is anachronistic tech, which mm-hmm. is, it's both for the audience and for the characters supposed to be like a, a space that is outside of yeah. time and space. Like and the computers that they use are like from the 80s. Yeah, it's like old tech. While, while like their screens look almost like new tech and then... Then there's all these incentivizations that happen. They're weird. Yeah, that happen to the characters that like finger traps or pencils or like a, um, a miniature dance party, a glass statue. Yeah, that. Of was that real? Yeah, it was all real. No, I mean it's all yeah, it all happens, but like who knows what's real in this show? That so weird. That's part of the absurdism because a lot of the show is played to be absurd yeah. and to be like a tonally dissonant kind of chaotic uh, mm-hmm. or surreal or absurdist for the viewer because yeah. we know how crazy it is because this is all commentary on what is, you know, corporate it's, it's a caricature of what is very real for us, yeah. which is the, the corporate work experience yeah. or office, office work experience. Yeah. Like Gabe and I experience far too frequently. It's so real. It feels <laughs> so like palpable. Like we like it is you could bite into this show like we're yeah. biting into a day of work. The like, way management treats the work, like the labor force, it's like pedantic and it's infantilizing. Like and the dissatisfying. way dissatisfying. Yeah, and patronizing, and it's just like it's, it's so silly. Yeah. There's always these these stupid, intangible rewards that don't mean anything to us. And really, it's like really this is the reward that we're getting for doing this job. Like I remember when <laughs> tangentially, but like one time we got this award for working on a film that we were working on. And the reward was literally a paper certificate signed by the head of the company. (laughs) (laughs) That's so Lumen. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like, wow, that's, that's our bonus. Like that was our bonus for that year. (laughs) Um, But anyway, and that, that's how it feels sometimes. It's like, it's, you know, these corporate jobs, these desk jobs are so thankless and dehumanizing. Yeah. And that's sort of the point of the show, but the funniest one and most enigmatic for me was the waffle party where he goes and eats waffles alone in, uh, in a with, shrine to the Egan house with, yeah, with within this building, there's, they rebuilt sort of like a, it's a one to one colonial, colonialized, like looking house it within the building. So it's, it, it's indoors. <laughs> it's in the perpetuity. And right? it's almost like a monument. It's like a, uh, what's it called? Like a mausoleum to, the founder of this company and afterward after he's done eating waffles in this mock kitchen of this mock house he goes and sits on the bed and then all these dancers like women and men, and men. come out in masks and start dancing very provocatively to some sort of tribal music it's culty and he's has a mask on and it gets very weird like the show that's what this show does is it it transitions from like the most funny satirical commentary on like corporate culture and then it can transition into like a very dark and ominous tone very quickly you know yeah 
and characters embody that specifically. Like yeah. Mr. Milchek will go from being this really warm and friendly uh, facilitator and he'll pivot in a second to being the enforcer, this scary and ominous uh, presence. Yeah. Allie. Yeah. Allie, what did you think about the show? Did you like it and why? I I did like it. I like all your guys' points. Yeah. I, and I, I kind of, I guess read it a little bit differently, but I really agree with what you guys are saying. I guess because I'm not in the corporate op or like office type setting, it, that aspect didn't resonate with me as much, but I thought that was really interesting the way you guys talked about that and also like the, re- yeah, the absurdity of the rewards and all of that. Yeah, I think it did that in a really creative way. Um, I, the thing that I, I guess I was more intrigued by was more of like the philosophical aspects to the show. I think it really focuses on those things. And uh, one of the ideas being like, what constitutes personhood? <laughs> I, like I said, when I was watching Severance, I, I thought of after Yang. And then I also thought of Westworld. Yes. Um, yes. And because I remember when I watched Westworld, that was like the main idea that I was thinking about is like what constitutes personhood. Like these, yes, these people were made, like created, but I'm talking about Westworld, um, but they have human emotions and past traumas and they're triggered and um they have all like these storylines that are erased but they're still there and then they're there's just a lot of like emotional abuse that and physical abuse that happens to these hosts um and so yeah so i thought immediately when i was watching severance i thought of the hosts in westworld and then obviously the innies in severance and then in after yang even though we're not fully talking about that um they're these kind of digital uh they call them techno sapiens they have different words but yeah so again a created um being um and yet they have uh like in that movie yang has like past memory and love interests and deep emotions for people so anyways in severance it's a little bit different because it's not something created from nothing. It's an actual person whose brain was just altered in a way. But there is a creation in that person, part of their brain, or however you want to technically describe it, that part of themselves is living in this other space and has emotions and deep feelings and and is experiencing things within this realm uh, that matter. And you even get that instance of Heli hating it so much that she decides to try and commit suicide um, to kind of send a message to her Audi. And her Audi then sends back a video to her the next day. Um, she, basically, Heli thinks, oh, that, that'll get the message across to her, like, take me out of this. Like, but her Audi sends a message in the video saying, basically, like, I don't care. Like, you need to stop. Like, I'm choosing this and I'm the one in control. And so it's it's taking the subjectivity out of the any and the choice and the personhood from the any. Um, and yeah, the, the idea of what constitutes personhood. I mean, that's even talked about with uh, you know, about human beings. Like some people don't 
consider other human beings people and this this type of idea and um yeah question i think the show really brings up is profound and you get this beautiful as it's so separated in the beginning you get this beautiful merging of these identities even towards the end where you finally see you know mark his innie and his Audi, even though they have not met yet, there are these connections that are starting to happen slowly over time. And yeah, I just think it brings brings across these ideas and this this um, this depth to what it means to be mm-hmm. a human. It also touches on what it means to be enslaved, to be dehumanized, and sort of just put the, put them at work and say I'm in charge, like. Well, in terms of having rights, I didn't expect that either to, even knowing the sci-fi hook of the show, I did not expect them to approach those, uh, just in case we haven't uh, contextualized this, the innies are the personalities working at Lumen and the outies are the people outside when they're split. But yeah, the innies not being, basically made out to have no rights. I did not expect that. Like... Ali said when Heliar's outer personality basically refers to the any as like not even a person. Mm-hmm. It was it was something I did not expect to see and just adds a whole other great angle of commentary to the work life culture where we are, you know, made to be less than people when we're in that environment, even in real life. Yeah. I heard it was birthed out of the idea of being like this job is so mindless, like I could like just turn myself off for eight hours and then just go home and not even have to essentially be here at all, you know? Yeah. Like that idea. (laughs) For sure. I'd like to highlight a couple things that made this show so special for me. Uh, As someone who is admittedly in love with science fiction as as genre, uh, but also specifically in the context of this show, something that I I like to call weird weird fiction. Which is is a thing. It's not something I coined. And I don't know if I've even really talked about it. I think I've mentioned it in a few of our older casts, like in Midsummer and stuff like that. Weird fiction is this thing that is grounded in real life, but is um, given, uh, it's elevated to something else by use of elements that are either like preternatural or, in this case, part of science fiction. And so there's a lot of things we already mentioned that, that give texture to this show, like the anachronistic technology or some of the more specific instances of the strangeness of this show, which is the data sorting based on emotional response. They talk about things that have seemingly no explanation, like code detectors, for instance, in the elevators that bring them to the severed floor. Uh, the wellness sessions that they have to go through, uh, which is one of the highlights of every episode is when they're brought into this space with the character Mrs. Casey. It is like a therapeutic kind of encounter where she tells them soothing facts about their outer personality, their Audi. Things like, you know, people like you, or you can lift a lot. Your Audi can lift a lot of weights. (laughs) You know, things like that. She tells Irving that your Audi likes the sound of radar. Things that we eventually uncover are true facts because radar is, for instance, the name of Irving's dog on the outside. The break room... And the compunction statement, one of my favorite parts of the show, which is where uh, when the innies misbehave in their corporate environment, they're sent to the break room, which is not a good thing. They have to recite this, what they call compunction statement, which is where they will repeat this apology until they are truly penitent 
uh, basically as long as it takes. And so sometimes they're there overnight and they'll repeat this, this mantra hundreds or even a thousand times before they are emotionally and mentally worn down to the point where they are just, it, it becomes true because of repetition. It's really uh, fascinating. Even outside of all the fantastic, like weird stuff in the show, I, I absolutely love a show that really develops world building specifically through creating like a mythology uh, for itself or a lore in this show. And so they did that here in Severance in the Egan family history. And they developed this uh, corporate culture to the point where it becomes, like I said earlier, like a cult. And they have uh, a lot of different ways that that is enforced through Ad Lumen on the severed floor. They have things like the nine values of Kier, who is like the original patriarch of this cult. Uh, vision, verve, wit, cheer, humility, benevolence, nimbleness, probity, and wiles. And this is something that Miss Coble, who is played by Patricia Arquette, will often uh, recite as her own mantra to reassure herself of her mission in serving this cult. Or the four tempers of Kier, which are woe, frolic, dread, and malice. Just a, it's, it's a really, I, I have such a great amount of respect for creative minds who can flesh out the mythology and the lore of the world they create. And it is, it is so incredibly immersive and not just because of all the amazing technical achievements of this show, because that is absolutely part of it. But like, as far as the outer elements of the narrative go, it, it it makes it such an immersive experience when you're watching the show and Lumen feels so fleshed out. Because the, everything has every action has a reaction in this company, and there's everything is prepared and and, and well written, and um, it just it is it is unique too, and it's original. I can't remember. We've yeah. had plenty of work place dramas and comedies in the last twenty thirty years that you can you know think about as potential inspirations for something like this across different genres, but never something have I I've never seen anything like Severance before. So I don't know. I, I'm just goo goo sure. for this show. I'm gaga. Yeah, no, I I have to agree with everything that you say, especially the fleshed out and the world building. And like, I love the way the light looks on that statue every morning. You know, like yeah, you could see it. you see the light, the way that it hits Egan's face, <laughs> like the statue. Like, there's little little just nuances and textures like that throughout the show that just really make it feel real and alive amidst the the absurd absurdist nature of everything that's going on it feels more real than a lot of other shows that we see you know yeah and you have all this incredible backdrop but at the center of it at the core of it is this very human story mm-hmm. of uh of coping with tragedy and emotional compartmentalization sure which is basically the whole metaphor right of the show and all that is brought to life so wonderfully by Adam Scott who I've never seen such a performance from uh, but the whole cast, you know, like the things he's going through with his family, his sister, it is compelling, not just as a science fiction genre show, you know, like a mystery, but it is a very compelling human story as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has everything you could want in a show. They also <laughs> use like people with such interesting faces. And I mean that in a good way. Like 
Adam Scott, or yeah, Mark. I've always thought he has like an interesting face. Yes. Um, but the and he like has subtle performance changes too when he goes from like the way they even though the like field of view or something in the elevator will change. Yeah. He he holds himself. Uh huh. And he'll even in the way he's like looking at someone. Yeah, his, his facial face, mu- muscles. Yeah, and it's a little nuance. Eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just have always thought he has an interesting face. Then also, um, his wife. Miss Casey, I think her face is super interesting. And also even Helly, Helly um, R, she just got like a very engaging look about her, like her eyebrows and her eyes, like her red hair. I don't know. I just feel like they use very intriguing faces, like not the run of like not like an average face, but also not like a super glamorized looking face or like super perfect looking face if that makes sense like i feel like everyone's very intriguing and like i think it adds to like the tone of the show you know what i mean yeah i i I liked the cast visually i agree with you uh speaking of heli this is the first time i've ever seen brit lower in anything Mm -hmm. she's one of those actors i've talked about this like once i think on the podcast before but that is in like everything that I don't watch or see. Yeah. <laughs> and then randomly she pops up in something I will watch like this. And I'm like, wow, she's really good. Who is she? Mm-hmm. She's like almost like could be like a new actor to me, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've never. She's a little bit more mature. She's like probably what? She's, she's, on, she's 36. Only, 36. She's yeah. Only... Yeah. She's not like, she's not like a brand new young yeah. actress. Like she's got a maturity to her. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. And I'm so glad. Hopefully she blows up now because she killed it. Mm-hmm. In the yeah. Show. She was amazing. And had yeah. good chemistry, too, with uh, Adam Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, talk about chemistry for a minute. John Turturro with uh, Christopher Walken, who, what an incredible... <laughs> unexpected. What an incredible, like, guest appearance. You know, he's not even in the department, but Christopher Walken just is in the show. As and, himself, essentially. Yeah. And I, from what I've read, John Turturro, like... Well, I... I mean, I guess he always plays himself in a lot of... Wow, Irving, it's so good to see you. Again, appreciated seeing you in this show. You should come by Optics and Design. I'll show you what I'm working on. I love someone who appreciates good art. Yeah, they have a romantic involvement, which was amazing. I think John Storrow brought Christopher Walken onto the project. Gabe, are you? I didn't know you? you were so intrigued by that relationship. Who could have? Who who had on their 2022 bingo card? John Turturro and Christopher Walken as Office Romance of the Year. I, I think, did not. I think it adds to the absurdity. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Well, yes, but also like it's it's heartwarming. It's heartwarming, Irving. It's heartwarming. Ali, you don't understand. You've never been in love like me. Wow. It's an idiot. I love everything about. I just don't know if I saw the chemistry, to be honest. Between well, Turturro and and myself. I think it's it's an interesting thing because they're so well known, like they're such accomplished actors that it's hard to see them as these characters. Probably actors. that's what it is. But I don't know. I I love it. And John, like I thought, John Turturro was one of, easily one of my favorite parts of the show. Um, yeah, you never really know if he's like the coolest person in the room or the nerdiest person in the room. You know what I mean? I think the nuance to his character, and then seeing who his Audi was being a painter and all that stuff, I thought was such an, another interesting dynamic. There is so much more to that character I think yeah. we'll get in the future because of what they've teased in the last two episodes. But yeah, even when you were watching it, like he brought in 
uh, a lot of the visual motif in this, uh, his character specifically brought it in, which was the, the black sludge, uh, which we came to figure out was his Audi being a painter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, amazing performance as like, <laughs> especially compared to his, I mean, all the Audis and Innies are different, but uh, Irving specifically felt like a completely different person. Mm-hmm. on the outside he's very it, i don't think he even really spoke very much at all except to his dog i really didn't expect uh dylan dylan's yeah. audi the difference because he he seems to be he seems to play sort of the the younger sort of more i don't know immature of the group yeah and then he has you know you come to find out he has three kids and probably is married on the outside also interesting on that note now we're getting into the uh the spin foil or the tin foil spin foil that's funny <laughs> There's a joke behind there. This, the tinfoil hat part of the show, which is like talking about all the lost elements of the show, like the little mysteries. But I did notice, because I, I spent some of the, the show pausing for clues, especially in the later episodes. And one of the things I saw when Irving was on the outside doing his research, because he has like, he has, he's been doing um, reconnaissance on Lumen for some time, his Audi has. Yeah, yeah. And we see a series of documents, one of which has a, a a list of employees at Lumen and we see Dylan's name and it lists his age as I think like 58 or something crazy like that. Oh, right. You remember? So there are, there are, wait, explain that to me. Well, one of the documents Irving has on the outside is of a list of Lumen employees Yeah. and little notes he has to each of them. One of the things that is listed next to Dylan is his age, and it is it is something in his fifties, which like made me think. But he looks younger in the show. Yeah, and one of the one of the things about Severance as a show, one of the sci-fi mysteries, I guess you know, from the box that we would you know draw comparisons to Lost is that there is, and this isn't even really touched on hard in the show because of all the other things going on. Is that there's something weird going on with time dilation in this show? And so I'm really curious to see what they do going forward as they continue to un, you know, unpack the box and unravel the mystery of this company. And for instance, some of these people aren't potentially even like people. Like, for instance, Miss Casey, uh, who is revealed to be Mark's deceased wife, Gemma, is like potentially like a clone or a synthetic person because of the way she is. Uh, brought back to life after a fatal car accident and is only able to operate for a few hours a day, I think, before she has to go back downstairs to uh, whatever they call that department, uh, development or whatever. But I, I, I think there's, some, there's so much going on here that we haven't even scratched the surface of. And it's amazing that a, even in a single series of this show, a single season, that we have done so much and yet done so little to expand. Mm-hmm. Like... <laughs> I, I'm dying to know more, but we have to wait a whole nother year for season two, if not longer. Yeah, I wonder, I, I think that's an interesting theory, Gabe, um, about Miss Casey, because I was thinking, like, because the show ends with him screaming, she's alive, Yeah, you know? And, yeah, I wonder, I wonder where they're going to take that, because I, I kind of thought, like, hey, either what you said, or, like, could they have literally taken her, like, take in her body and then they just keep her within that realm and then she goes she never goes back on to her real self they just put her to sleep like you know what i mean yeah i'm curious if if that's actually her well one of the clues towards that because i was digging through the reddit you know trying to 
find like-minded individuals who are trying to unravel the Westworld-like mysteries, or is that Patricia Arquette's character, Miss Coble, her connection with Lumen is complicated, and I think her mother is her. Uh, one of the things in Miss Coble's house is uh, medical paraphernalia from her, what is assumed to be her mother's death in the hospital. And one of the theories is that Miss Coble is staying with Lumen because she thinks there might be a possibility that they're that they can like revive her mother or something or like bring her back to life. And I'm thinking part of Lumen's reach as this mysterious enterprising corporation is that they can uh, either bring people back to life or, like I said, it is something to do with cloning or synthetic individuals mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. is. Uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of little clues that point to that as being a possibility, mm-hmm. and we haven't even <laughs> there's so much we haven't even like uh, gotten to that point yet because of all the the rest of the Egan conspiracy. Like we we find out Heli R is the heir to the Egan line, and we see uh, Jame Egan. Spoilers, spoilers. Yeah, we're in full spoilers now. You, we can just I guess we can stop with the spoilers. I don't know. I I'm I'm. Chomping at the bit to fangirling. I'm fangirling. It's been so fanboying. long. Or fanboying. Fanboying. I'm fanning. I'm fanning out. I'm fanpersoning. I just realized that Zach Cherry, as like trying to figure out why I recognize him, he's Spider-Man the dude or on the bus. Yeah, Shang-Chi. And Shang-Chi, who's like <laughs> filming, going like, Yo, I took some karate growing up. Like this, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to narrate this a little bit and explain what's happening. <laughs> what a memorable bit part. I know, and and now he's got this massive role in Severance. One thing about this show, the only thing about this show that I don't like... Just stop there. <laughs> ...is they repeat the theme song, the theme music, a lot. So much so that I wish that they had a little bit more to play with when it came to writing different themes of music, like memorable themes of music. I did like the score in this show, but I feel like it could be like so much better than it is, you know? Yeah. But I I repeated that one theme over and over and over again. Yeah. The minimalism of it worked for me, but I I see what you mean as far as having a more of an iconic, like suite of like distinct sounds. But real quick on the note of the theme, uh, huge, well, it sounds weird saying huge props to this because I'm nobody. But my new favorite credits intro credit sequence is from this show, thanks to Oliver Lata's animation. Absolutely phenomenal piece of art, which is this yeah. really bizarre, surrealist, like uh, Doctor Strange three D rendering animation. Um, I think it's iconic. Maybe I'm just weird. I love it to death. I love every single thing about this show <laughs> yeah it's very very good like i said earlier it's an a plus Allie, do you agree a plus i agree s plus yeah what, what was the last a plus show that you saw oh dark probably dark. dark yeah i really loved dark yeah this is up there yeah I, yeah. yeah I actually i really liked this show but i actually liked dark more but yeah. that's just because i'm more interested in in uh brand bodar is coming out with his new series this year called 1899, 1899, and it's coming out toward the fall season. I'm so stoked. I've been, he's been posting stuff on Instagram, and I'm like so pumped because it looks rad. It looks like The Shining 
mixed with 1899. <laughs> yeah. Seafaring. It looks like Robert Eggers meets The Shining meets Dark. Looks so sweet. Yeah, new Flanagan soon too. Really? Is it a new haunting series? No, he's. I think he's wrapping soon on uh, Fall of the House of Usher, which is based on uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, mm. damn. So. Okay, well, yeah. uh, that is Severance. Severance. Show that we all Worth the love. Apple TV subscription. Check it out, everybody. Apple TV's on the rise. Do you subscribe to Apple TV? No, I do not, Stephen. I use yours. <laughs> the cheapest of all the subscription services. So yeah. do yourself a favor. Uh, you could watch Ted Lasso and Severance and Morning Show. And could not recommend those shows enough. Really. What else is the other one? Pachinko's on there. Yeah. They're, they're uh, coming a out lot of, There's a lot of Charlie Brown. They finally are putting that Apple money to use. You can also see Jason Momoa in the show C. You can also see Coda. You can feel Coda. We're in some good television right now. 